Good afternoon and welcome. It's midday and today, as our cheesy theme song version would indicate, it is in fact midday at the movies with our good friends Jed Dietz, the founding director of the Maryland Film Festival, who joins us on Zoom. Jed, how you doing? Doing great, thanks. Good. And Ann Hornaday, film critic for the Washington Post and the author of Talking Pictures, How to Watch Movies. Hey, Ann. Hello, Tom. Happy New Year to both of you. So the Golden Globes are Sunday night, live from the Beverly Hilton. Starts at 8 o'clock. It's on CBS. Um, so, Ann Hornaday, the Golden Globes have had their had their problems in recent years. Um, <laughs> does, does this, uh, you know, the fact that it's nationally broadcast on a major network, et cetera, et cetera, uh, uh, mean that it's they they fixed all their problems and they're back and everything's <laughs> hunky dory. What's going on with the Golden Globes? <laughs> you know, I honestly I don't think we really know, and I'm not. I I will admit full disclosure. I I don't follow this story all that closely. You know, I mean, I think the Globes have always been just a fun, campy show. I mean the the reputation of the show always was that it was much more fun than the Oscars because they had alcohol in the room. So people would get progressively more tipsy and the speeches would get more entertaining. And it was a little bit kind of tacky and fun and off, you know, spontaneous. And you never knew what you were going to get. And then, as you mentioned, the Hollywood uh, Foreign Press Association who ran it, um, you know, ran afoul of some ethical lapses and diversity issues within the organization. And yeah, there, there, the there could have been some alcohol in those rooms, too, when the Foreign Press Association <laughs> I'm sure. was well, figuring out alcohol, what to do. Yeah. Not only, well, alcohol and just, you know, tons of swag. I mean, they were notorious for wanting to cozy up to the stars and be, its, you know, they were easily swayed by proximity to famous people and blandishments. <laughs> Um, from the industry. So anyway, whatever. I am too. I, I am too. Watch. I'll admit that. Happened. I am too, which is, among us, which is right? why I have you and Jed on the show once a month because, you know, <laughs> exactly. this is, this you is know, my... Showering you with, is, with all the perks. This yeah. is my brush with starting anyway. here. So I don't know, Jed, I mean, the, the, the Golden Globes was in fact, I mean, or the, the, the Foreign Press Association was in fact, you know, accused of some very serious, long-standing, systemic problems uh, in terms of equity and in terms of inclusion and in terms of, you know, being uh, a a sort of credible journalistic entity. I mean, they they had a PR problem that was the size size of Mount Rushmore. Yeah, no, absolutely. And they were sort of proud of it. I would say they were, you know, it was a very small group, um, never got bigger, I think, than in the 80s of total voters for the um, Hollywood Foreign Press Association. And as Ann said, they were almost laughably amenable to being bought. I mean, it, and I, I don't want to get too crass about this because I think th- they were, it was done in a sort of old Hollywood style, to be honest with you. And Ann's also right, the, the event, the dinner, because this pressure was way down, they were never taking didn't take themselves as seriously as the Academy and were never taken as seriously as the Academy or even critics associations and some of the other awards, everybody could sort of relax and there would be, you know, the dinner was, was like a a desirable ticket for everybody because there were, you know, flows of champagne going on. And as Ann pointed out, people could talk to the room, their peers executives and actors and producers and directors really 
casually. Then it got televised and they kept the champagne. <laughs> so it became sort of an entertaining television program until it wasn't. And the wasn't part really is they ran into the inevitable brick wall, which they were a very closed group, a very tiny little club. Um, I'm not di disputing anybody's motives or anything like that. It's just what they were. At the, at the time, that the Academy was really trying to face its own issues, much, much bigger organization, but face its own issues of diversity and very few women had been nominated, very few um, people of color had been nominated, let alone one, et cetera, et cetera. And the Academy really set out to increase its size dramatically and diversify. And they wanted to diversify internationally as well, not just um, in, in domestic size. And, and the Golden Globes never responded in that way. I mean, they said they were going to and all that sort of stuff. And finally, NBC just couldn't take it anymore, who was who was owned the show. I mean, it was broadcasting the rights to the show. And it got them kicked off the air. Then they really had no money. I mean, that was how the Academy makes its money big time off the TV show. And the, the Golden Globes were doing the same thing. Yeah. Now what's happened is a company came in and bought the, the Foreign Press Association really just couldn't get back on their feet. And, and a company... Uh, came in, Penske Media came in and bought them. And CBS now said, well, okay, we're going to try it. The Penske Media people own Hollywood Reporter and Daily Variety and Rolling Stone magazine. They've built up a, a really... South by Southwest. South by Southwest, you're exactly right. So, I mean, they're, they're a real player in the entertainment world and they're pretty yeah. new. And I think CBS decided... Let's give it a go. Yeah. And that's what we're going to see on yeah. Sunday night. We'll see what happens it, on Sunday and night. And it, yeah. it could be the most fun television show we're, we're going to see all year. Or it could knows? be more than the, more of the same, too. Yeah, so who knows? It could be. You, yeah. you just don't know. Yeah. It's Dick Clark Productions, which is part of Penske Media now, are, are, doing, are handling the production. They, they, this is what they do. They know this stuff. Mm-hmm. So we'll see. Yeah, we'll and see. I, so, Anne, um, with the, with the, in terms of the influence that the the Golden Globes awards have, like their best motion picture uh, drama uh, drama category, the nominees are Anatomy of a Fall, Killers of the Flower Moon, Maestro, the movie about Leonard Bernstein, Oppenheimer, Past Lives, and The Zone of Interest. Does that look mm -hmm. like a group of six movies that could very well end up? being the Oscars best picture list as well? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And this yeah. and the, what makes the Globes influential in terms of Oscars is that it occurs right as the nomination process is is opening up for academy members. So it just it, the awareness, it just jacks up the awareness level of all of those movies. Um, and so, you know, if a garden variety academy member is seeing stuff about, you know, anatomy of a fall and they haven't seen it and it wins a, an award, then they're going to be like, huh, you know, I should. So I just think it, it just, I think that's where you see the direct influence, even though they're completely different organizations, you know, and I don't think there's even one bit of overlap in terms of membership, um, voting membership, but, um, and, and with different institutional tastes. And of course, the, what I like about the Globes is that they, 
they have this comedy and drama, these two separate comedy drama sections, which just, you know, I mean, I think we should pull the lens back and, and remind ourselves, like, what is the point <laughs> of all of this? <laughs> and historically, the point has been to provide a marketing opportunity for movies that otherwise, you know, wouldn't fall into Hollywood's idea of a, of a, a big blockbuster, mm -hmm. you know? So yeah. while Hollywood's been doubling down on superheroes and stuff, the Oscars and tangentially the Globes have offered a path for more mid-range movies, more human scale movies. And um, any added awareness for those is a good thing, you know, mm -hmm. in my book, frankly. Yeah, um, it's interesting. So I just think that we can make fun of them and we can criticize them, but I think that Ultimately, I do think they're a force for good. The, That's uh, very serious. So you're right. Too. Yeah. And uh, the the best motion picture comedy uh, category at the Golden Globes, those uh, nominees are Air, the movie about uh, Michael Jordan's deal with Nike, American Fiction, which we're going to talk about in a minute, Barbie, which I saw, didn't like it. Sorry. Just didn't <laughs> well, like there it. you go. And The Holdovers, <laughs> I saw it, didn't love it. I mean, I, oh. all these movies that everybody loves, I did not. I don't know why. May, December, which is okay. neither a musical or a comedy, but it's nominated in True. that category, and Poor Things. So, you know, uh, so here's Barbie in the comedy category, which at least it was a comedy, and then Oppenheimer mm -hmm. in the drama category. So Barbenheimer, um, what do you think? I mean... Uh, Jed, I mean, the fact that, that Barbenheimer, you know, those two movies, like, literally kind of saved the, the, the movie theater business um, last summer, uh, got people back to the theaters in a way that uh, maybe topped, you know, before. But uh, what's that going to do for in, in, in terms of, of how people are, are going to position them for awards in terms of Golden Globes or Oscars, et cetera? Well, it, it it has impact. I, I I think you know Anne had mentioned that you'd picked up on this idea that the, being part of an award group that shows sort of the wide array that the movie art form can embrace in in the same year, it, it can help the smaller movie. Uh, maybe disproportionate to helping him. Is Barbie going to get a lot more sales because of this? Some, I bet, but they don't need it. They're doing, they, you know, they were sensational this year. Yeah. But, but it, it, you know, Anatomy of a Fall or Zone of Interest are titles that maybe not everybody knows. Uh, American Fiction isn't even quite out yet. I think it's opening in Baltimore today. Um but it's, you know, th those kind of movies, it's, a, it's sort of a wonderful way to look at the art form that just says, to, you know, the, the, to the public, you know, we've got a little something for everybody here. And that's what the sports leagues try to do, you know. And, and, and the movies have, have done it for a long time. That seriously is what they try to do. And there is interested, there are people working in the movie industry who are very much in the big film part of it and have to look for things that can make lots of money because they're going to cost lots of money to make and to market. And th their favorite movie might be one of the smallest movies of the year. And that expresses what happens in the art form. And I think it's really good that it is happening right now. And listeners, we'd love to hear what you saw in 2023, what you're looking forward to seeing in 2024. Who do you think should win the Golden Globe? Who do you think should be nominated for Oscars? 410-662-8780. Our email, midday at wipr 
org. So, um, and Bob Mondello at NPR did a story yesterday about revenue for uh, movies. Uh, it's, it's way up uh, in 2023. It's not quite back to pre-pandemic levels, uh, but it's certainly way up. Um, uh, Willy Wonka ended up being the number one movie at the box office. Uh, Color Purple has sold very well, uh, but there's about $9 billion uh, in sales in 2023. Um, and that you know, was more than in 2022, but it's still about $2 billion shy of where they were in revenues prior to the pandemic. Um, he also made an interesting point that uh, through April, coming up this April, uh, there will be 31 wide releases, meaning movies mm-hmm. that are in virtually every movie theater. Um, last year, same period, 44. And this is, of course, because of the strike, uh, which happened for the actors from July to November and for the writers from May until uh, I guess September or so. So, um, 2025, uh, there's a there's a there's a uh, there's going to be fewer movies out in 2024. There's going to be a lot more movies out in 2025, but that's obviously going to affect revenues. Um, what's your take on the sort of the the state of the business right now uh, of uh, movie screenings and people uh, in person in theaters? I think we should, I think the the focus on revenue obscures another focus, which should be attendance. And I don't think we should confuse Mm. the two. Hmm. Because Mm -hmm. one of the reasons that revenue... They're not the same thing? Yeah. No, no. Because one of the reasons that revenue number is so big was because Oppenheimer was on IMAX screens and IMAX is a premium ticket price. So that doesn't oh, mean that. So they're just paying know, a lot more per to, person. Uh-huh. That's right. So we have and to Bar- take into account premium. And Barbie account had a lot premium. of multiple multiple attendants too for Barbie. That People is exactly right. Yeah, that's right. So I think, and that's and and when I have conversations with independent theater owners, that's what's concerning them. Of course, they're happy that the that the dollar number is going up. But there is still a lot of anxiety about just sheer attendance and people coming back mm-hmm. and um, sitting down in seats to watch a movie. Yeah, we saw a bunch that of movies. Is still depressed. You know, Linnell and I saw a yeah. bunch of movies over the uh, Christmas, New Year's break. But I'll, I'll admit, I didn't go to the theater for any of them. We watched them at home. I exactly. Mean, and so Linnell had COVID. Why. That's one of the reasons. You know, we were we were right. homebound, um, and it was a good thing to do. But uh, yeah, it, it's tough. So, listeners, we'd love to hear from you about. Your take on this, we talk about it almost every month, and it's important to talk about it, to see if there's any movement in terms of people wanting to get back into theaters uh, more or less now than before, because uh, the uptick in COVID cases is certainly something that we're all familiar with as well. 410-662-8780, our email midday at WIPR.org. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll have more with Jed Dietz, the founding director of the Maryland Film Festival, and Ann Hornaday film critic for the Washington Post and the author of Talking Pictures, How to Watch Movie. I'm Tom Hall. Stay with us. This is Baltimore's NPR News Station, 88.1 WYPR. Welcome.
Welcome back. It's midday. I'm Tom Hall. By the way, coming up on the show tomorrow, a conversation with the acclaimed author Alice McDermott. She's a National Book Award winner, a Pulitzer Prize finalist, and one of the most beloved writers in American letters. Her new novel is terrific. It's set in Vietnam in the earliest days of the war. It's called Absolution, and that's coming up tomorrow, my conversation with Alice McDermott. all-time great percussion sections of music history there. That guy playing that thing. What a job. What a job. Jed Dietz is here. He's the founding director of the Maryland Film Festival. Ann Hornaday is here as well, film critic for the Washington Post and the author of Talking Pictures, How to Watch Movies. It's midday at the movies. Join us and let us know what you're watching. 410-662-8780. Our email midday at WYPR. Dot org. Let's go to the phones. Clarence is on the line from Baltimore County. Happy New Year, Clarence. Welcome back. Same to you guys. Um, I, I just want to very quickly, I'm on my fifth sitting of Killers of the Flower Moon, and this mm. movie is just, I think it's one of, it, if DiCaprio or one of these guys or even the director does it, something's wrong if they don't get an Academy Award for this, I don't know whether or not your guests would agree with me, but I call it kind of like an historical period piece because everybody knew the story before the movie came out. But DiCaprio, I keep going in this movie just to watch some of these scenes where he absolutely, in my opinion, nailed the character. I mean, it's, mm. it's, it's just one of those movies that you have to put in the category of this is a great movie. Wow, five it, times, really. You've watched it fifth, five times, Clarence. That's I purchased amazing. it, and I don't, you know, I have to get a beat on a movie before I spend 19 bucks for it, because I don't go to movies anymore, but I purchased this immediately just because it was DiCaprio and De Niro, so I said, mm-hmm. okay, I'll take a chance on this. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Well, good for you, and you know, you, you, your opinion is widely shared, Clarence. I mean, it really is. There's a lot of people yep. who, you know, really love that movie and you have these gigantic blockbuster names uh, affiliated with Scorsese and DiCaprio at all. Um, so we'll see. We'll just have to see. I mean, how does a movie like Jed, you know, when, when, when people are voting for this kind of thing, people in the Academy or, for the, or the Foreign Press Association for that matter, and they're looking at a movie, you know, with that kind of scope and, and expansiveness of Killers of the Flower Moon as compared to Oppenheimer, which was another, you know, gigantic uh thing a three and a half hour uh epic uh how do you how do you make a decision as to which which one to cast your vote for well i i think clarence gave us a a a pretty good way to do it which is you know you there are elements in there dicaprio and and de niro in this case for him that just drew him in and then then the movie has to do the work and it did for him you know he wanted to see it multiple times and and i think I, I I I was impressed that he had known this story. This was not a story familiar to me. And that was one of the things that intrigued me to go see the movie. I didn't really know anything about the Osage Indians, and I didn't know anything about Oklahoma being so oil-rich. I knew there had been oil, but it was not a big player now. And I, I was very curious to see it because of the story. And then I know we're 
and Clarence may have known this too, we're putting ourselves in the hands of a master filmmaker, Martin Scorsese, who, you know, is in his 80s, isn't going to make too many more movies, and I want to see them all. Yeah. So those yeah. are those are all good reasons to go to a movie, yeah. even if it doesn't end up exciting you the way this one did, Clarence. All right. Well, Clarence, thanks for the call. Always <laughs> great to hear from you. So, Ann, I want to ask you about a movie called American Fiction. And before I do, mm. let's listen to a little clip. This is about a novelist uh, who is... Uh, uh, trying to make it in the in the publishing world, uh, and uh, let's see what they have to say in this little clip. How did you come to write this book? What really struck me was that too few books were about my people. Where are our stories? Where's our representation? Would you give us the pleasure of reading an excerpt? Yo, Sharonda, girl, you be pregnant again? If I is, Ray Ray is going to be a real father this time around. Thank you. Monk, your books are good, but they're not popular. Editors, they want a black book. They have a black book. I'm black, and it's my book. You know what I mean. Look at what they published. Look at what they expect us to write. I just want to rub their noses in it. <laughs> so, Anne, this is a, a movie taking up, you know, a very, very complicated uh, topic of race and publishing and popularity and public opinion, etc. Jeffrey Wright does, by all reports, a terrific job. Issa Rae is in this movie. Um, what do you think? This was my favorite movie of the year when i did my top 10 for 23 this was at the top of the list i love this movie and i'm so glad it's finally getting to baltimore they should have brought it to baltimore at the outset because i think there's it's the perfect market for it it's um as you said it stars jeffrey wright who we don't see enough in these leading roles and he it's Mm. just a fantastic performance and and a very long overdue showcase for for him because he's always the best thing and everything he's in it's been it's a, it's adapted from a novel by Percival Everett um and the writer director is this guy named Cord Jefferson who was probably his you know best known title uh his TV titles were things like Watchmen and Succession this is his feature debut and he just nails it it's just a brilliant mm social satire but more than that it's just a really warm funny family comedy you know yes wright's character is doing this number on the (laughs) publishing industry to expose liberal hypocrisies and you know the racist structure of the industry but at the at the same time he's dealing with an aging mother beautifully played by leslie uggams he's embarking on a new relationship he has some sibling issues with his brother and sister played by sterling brown and tracy ellis ross so there is this whole gorgeous family story going on at the same time that just to me just expands the movie so much and um gives it this kind of warm welcoming tone that really beautifully um offsets the polemic of it all i just thought it was absolutely exquisitely balanced and done it's it's just really entertaining and fun you heard it here on midday and in the washington post and top movie of the year american fiction it's at the charles theater here's a clip from another one that's also at the charles theater here in baltimore this is a movie that stars uh emma stone mark ruffalo william defoe uh it's called poor things let's listen to a clip 
These two are fighting and ideas are banging around in Bella's head and heart like lights in a storm. Oh. You're always reading now, Bella. You're losing some of your adorable way of speaking. I'm a changingable feast, as are all of we. Apparently, according to Emerson, disagreed with by Harry. Come, come, just come. You were in my son. What? Who cares what they're saying? They're saying it with such great <laughs> accents. The accents make the movie, as far as I'm concerned. So, Jed, this has gotten a lot of buzz. Um, it's called Poor Things again. Again, it's at the Charles. What'd you think? Well, I was totally fascinated by this movie. Uh, Yorgos Lanthimos, the writer-director, is a Greek director. He has started a movement in Greece and really throughout Eastern Europe of call, often referred to as the weird wave because he's been helping out other emerging filmmakers. We had his first film, Dogtooth, at the festival years ago. And and I think in the 20 few years it was that I was involved with the festival, I don't think I'd ever seen such strong reactions to a movie as we had to Dogtooth. And he, just for the audience, he's done you know weird movies like The Lobster or Killing of the Sacred Deer, He's done Academy Award-winning movies like The Favorite that won Olivia Coleman and others who won Academy Awards around that. So he's he works in this incredible way. This movie is in the weird end of the continuum. It's about a young woman who this Frankenstein-like character played unbelievably well by Willem Dafoe getting award nominations already has this sort of Frankenstein-like idea that I'm going to put a, the child's brain in this woman's body and see what happens. This should be fascinating. And what that sets off is an is a exploration of growing up, of sexuality, of you know trusting and fearing things, all of it in the most amazing production design you're going to see all year and emma stone you know who's, who's done easy a she was in la la land i mean she's a wonderful actress we've all known this she's more than wonderful she's fearless and it's uh it's 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 an amazing thing to see it's not not everybody's gonna like it um it, it's uh, you know it's a strong strong piece of work and i think it's I hope that Charles does a lot of business with it. Yeah, we have an email from Kate in Catonsville. Uh, my husband and I saw the movie Jewels at the Charles Theater. It actually got a standing ovation from the small group that was attending, Ben Kinsley and Jane Curtin, a fun and tender mm -hmm. movie. Karen says, my neighbor asked me to go to the movies last week. We went to see The Color Purple at the Senator. Excellent huh. movie. I also went with a friend on Monday to see The Boys in the Boat. And she liked that one as well. I'm going back yeah. to the movies on Monday with my senior center ladies to see The Color Purple again. Oh, so it's interesting. Oh, so you know, here's a person. And here's Joseph emailing who says, I go to movies two to three times a week. Good for him. Wow. So he says, yeah. of all the movies that I've seen, um, Saltburn was my favorite. But we know that Whoa. it's not going to win. Um, I saw Saltburn and had to turn it off after an hour and a half. Just, I could not stand it. It was, it was dark and 
I mean, like literally dark, not just the plot was dark, but just it was so dark. I, I yearned for the scenes that took place outside so that we could have some sunlight in the living room. But well, anyway, but that's just me. A lot of those me. scenes were dark, too. Yeah, and they were dark as well. <laughs> right. But uh, but Joseph likes Saltburn, so good for you. And uh, Killers of the Flower Moon, another on Joseph's list. He also uh, preferred that one over Oppenheimer. He says, I love oh. independent movies more as the stories are unpredictable. And he makes an interesting point. This Joseph says, I go two, three times a week, and I have an AMC membership. And I love that they're showing the smaller independent movies, too, but there are very few people at the screening. So an AMC membership, and he makes good use of it, it sounds like, if he's going two to three times That's a great. week. That's great. Um, Anne, I want to ask you about a movie called Zone of Interest. Uh, speaking of dark, this is a very uh, difficult story. Again, this is one of the movies nominated as a Best Picture in the Golden Globes. Um, it con- concerns the commandant of Auschwitz. Uh, and his wife, uh, and the family life that they have right next to the camp. Um, that That's a pretty intense uh, plot conceit. Uh, what'd you think? This is a magnificent film. Um, it's actually based on a novel by Martin Amos that was itself based on the true story of this commandant who was one of the architects of Auschwitz and ended up living next door. And the filmmaker, Jonathan Glazer, um, just, you know, was starting to research the real family and realized that the true story is, you know, even more powerful than Amos's fictionalized version. So he has really done, like literally done the research and creates this portrait of evil that is oblique. In other words, it's about the power of denial and complicity and the dance between those two things where these people can experience such privilege and um, comfort literally next door to unspeakable violence and genocide. And I just thought it was gorgeously calibrated, beautifully acted by Sandra Huller, who plays mm-hmm. um, Rudolf Haas's wife, and she's also in Anatomy of a Fall, so this has been an amazing year for her. And Christian Friedel plays Rudolf Haas, the commandant. And it's a very austere, measured, carefully calibrated piece of filmmaking, and it's absolutely just devastatingly potent. It's really brilliant. Yeah, well, that's interesting to hear and good to hear. Martin Amos, you mentioned the novelist. I was also uh, involved in the screenplay of that one. Um, Jed, we're running out of time, so I want to ask you about a movie that's down at Harbor East, uh, which has reopened, you know, within the last six months or so, uh, the movie theater down there. Uh, This one's called Anyone But You. Uh, It's about two people who meet. They have this great first date, and then... No, things don't go out so don't go so great, and then they end up at a wedding together in Australia. What'd you think? Well, I circle back a little bit to the why do you go to a movie? This this one features um, an actress that I've seen now do several different things. It's a, a an actress named Sydney Sweeney, and she was in a a. a, a TV streaming show, I guess would be the way to say it, by Sam Levinson called Euphoria. Um, that was very controversial, lots of sort of sad misbehavior with young people growing up. She was one of the, the, the 
key players in that. And then she did a movie that was, I think, literally word for word from an FBI transcript about a real event that happened. It's not a documentary, but but the but the event happened. And I think everything in the movie literally comes from the transcript. And she played this completely different kind of character who's who's a you know has a job and is working. She goes home. She gets home, and the FBI are there to interview her. And a whole story evolves from that. Called the movie's called Reality. And, very uh, interesting movie. It's made me very interested in her, so I wanted to see this. This is a classic rom-com story about a very good-looking couple who thought they were falling in love and then hated each other because of a misunderstanding of something. And then they go to a friend's wedding, a relative's wedding in this case, in this beautiful spot in Australia. And lo and behold, fall in love again. And it's got all the silliness of a rom-com, but in this case, also all of the charm. And it was sort of fun for me to see, you know, I like the classic rom-coms. And I, I know you do because of Love Actually and other things. But the the to see one that's that's made by younger people, it's got all the basic structure of it. There's nothing... You know, there's some surprises in it, but basically the whole flow of the movie you understand is going to happen. But it's fun, and I'm glad I saw it. And Glenn Powell plays the male lead, and there are a lot of great Australian actors in it. It's, it's, uh, you know, it, yeah. it, it, we'll see how it does in the box office. All right, anyone but you. It's down at Harbor East, and I'm glad you brought up uh, Love Actually because I'm just glad anytime anybody brings up <laughs> oh, no. Love you Actually, you had to bring up I'm Love sorry. Actually. Exactly. Yeah. We, we, our, our tradition is to only argue about it in December. But hey, I'm open to I'm open to new ideas. That's why why, why wait somewhere. another eleven months? You know. Um, so, Anne, I want to ask you about a movie that uh, has co- the collaborators Ava DuVernay and Isabel Wilkerson, yeah. a fantastic. Fantastic uh, documentarian uh, and a fantastic uh, filmmaker, as well as Il- Isabel, who's been on this show, uh, wrote a wonderful book called The Warmth of Other Sons and uh, other you know, terrific books about the caste system, etc. And this is a movie called Origin. Tell us about this one. Yeah. This is a really fascinating film. It's actually Ava's adaptation of the, mov- of the book Cast, which is, if people have read it, they know what a densely layered gnarly, you know, intellectual exercise that book is where Isabel Wilkerson really interrogates notions of race and comes up with this sort of new way of framing um, inequality and oppression, which is more through the lens of caste than literal race. So we're talking about very arcane kind of heady ideas. And what Ava did was, rather than adapt the book in a linear way, she made Isabel Wilkerson the protagonist of the story, beautifully played by ingenue Alice Taylor. I mean, just an exquisite performance. And at the time, which, you know, Isabel Wilkerson didn't make this known, but it became clear over time that she was, while she was writing and researching this book, she was experiencing devastating personal losses in her own family life. And so what Ava's done is dramatize those uh, traumas and then also drama, trauma, uh, dramatize Isabel's search for these answers. And it is a fascinating movie that is, it's almost documentary-like in its 
approach it sometimes. I mean, it has this sort of cinema verite style at sometimes. At others, it's more of a straight drama. It's unlike any other movie I've ever seen, and it's really an interesting example of an artist's response, creative response to another person's intellectual creative response. And I just, sometimes I feel that the film's a little unwieldy, but it is just such an emotion, it's so powerfully uh, emotional. I've seen it twice with audiences, and both times they've just been overwhelmingly affected by it. It is a really, really mm -hmm. powerful experience. Wow. Well, you know, we've got some good ones here uh, starting yeah. the year out here. I mean, this is interesting. Is 2023 a very strong year creatively for the movie industry, despite the problems of the strike, et cetera, et cetera, and, you know, the post-pandemic lull, et cetera? Um, you know, the, people, uh, the New York Times had a long article uh, about uh, how competitive it's going to be for uh, awards like the Golden Globes and the Oscars this year, because uh, 2023 was a, a heck of a year. Um, but, you know, uh, it looks like we're off to a really good start here in 2024, but there will be fewer movies released, it looks like, uh, in 2024 than uh, these last few years. So we'll see how that, that goes. Well, thank you both. Always good to talk to you. Thank you so much. Happy New Year, thank and you. we'll see you next month. Thank you, Tom. Thanks, Tom. Happy New Year. Ann Hornaday is a film critic for The Washington Post and the author of Talking Pictures, How to Watch Movies. Jed Dietz is the founding director of the Maryland Film Festival. And coming up, theater critic Jay Wynn Russick will join me here in Studio A with a review of Ragtime at the Signature Theater over in Arlington, Virginia. I'm Tom Hall. It's midday. Stay with us. This is 88.1 WIPR.